My name is Suzanne Agrain. I'm an um, astrophysicist here, and what I do for a living is to look for other worlds. And in particular, we're interested in finding other worlds that might be like the Earth and might potentially have life on them. So when we're doing this, really what we're trying to do is to put the Earth in context. So we're trying to think of the Earth as one of many planets in many planetary systems and wonder how unique it is or how common it might be, and what is the diversity of all the different planets out there. So, the best place to start is always home, and um, when we want to think about what kind of planets we might encounter outside the solar system, it's useful to look at the, the solar system in itself. So, the Earth is the third planet out as you move away from the Sun. So, we have Mercury, Venus, the Earth, and Mars. These are planets found relatively close to the Sun, and they're all terrestrial, which means they're mainly made of rock with a bit of iron in their core. Um, and as you move further out into the colder parts of the solar system, then we have what we call the gas giants, so Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune. These planets are much, much bigger than the Earth. Jupiter is about 10 times bigger than the Earth. The Sun is about 100 times bigger than the Earth. But Jupiter is about 1,000 times more massive than the Earth, and the Sun, I won't even try and express how large the ratio is. So the big difference between these gas giants on the outside is that they're mainly made of light elements like hydrogen and helium, and we think that they could only have formed in the outer parts of the solar system where there was enough mass there for them to grow to these large sizes. Now, we also know that these planets orbit around the Sun on almost circular orbits, and that all of these orbits are more or less in the same plane. We also have lots of very um, telltale information about the formation of the solar system that comes to us from modern-day asteroids and comets. And we'll hear quite a lot about asteroids in the next talk by Jocelyn Burbanel. But I just wanted to point out that uh, the, the last month was really an exciting one for looking at asteroids. There was one that passed over the UK on the 15th of February, and on the same day was the meteor crash in Siberia. Um, in the last few days, there's also been the opportunity for some of us to see comet Pan-STARRS as it um, passed into the sky. And towards the end of this year, um, there will be a comet called Comet Ison that might be even brighter uh, than any of the comets in recent memory. It might even be visible in the daytime sky, so that will really be something to look out for. We think that these comets fr come from the reservoir of small bodies from which the large planets then formed. So all of this brings us to a picture where when a star forms, it forms from a cloud of gas and dust that collapses under the effect of its own gravity. In order to collapse, the, ma the material has to form a disk and slowly spiral onto the star in the center. And in this disk is where the planets are thought to form. And they form in regions which might have been just slightly denser than the rest, and then they gradually sweep up all the material in that part of the disk. Then the star in the center becomes hot enough to start to shine. And when it does that, it eva basically evaporates the disk, leaving only the planets behind. So this is the basic picture of the way in which the solar system formed, and it predicts terrestrial planets in the center 
gas planets in the outside, and all of the planets are more or less circular orbits. But it also, this picture says that planets are a natural byproduct of the way in which stars form. So that means that if we have a hundred billion stars in the galaxy, this is actually, it's not a photograph, it's a drawing made by astronomers by putting a dot at the location of every star in the night sky, and the size of the dot is proportional to how bright the stars are. But just to give you a picture, there are 100,000, 100 billion stars in the galaxy, and each of those might be a sun like ours with planets like ours. Um, and so that's the primary motivation for looking for planets around other stars than the sun. I should also say that these dark streaks here across the plane of the galaxy, so this is the plane of the galaxy, are the clouds of gas and dust from which stars and planets form. And I should say also from which all of us are formed. So how would you go about finding a planet around another star? This is not an easy thing to do because planets emit essentially no light of their own and light is the primary way in which astronomers can learn about the universe. Of course, we can't go and travel to other stars and see if they have planets around them. So one of the things you might imagine doing quite naturally is to take a, an image of a star and make it as sharp as possible and try and see if there are any faint specks of light next to the star that might be planets. These faint specks would be there because the planet receives some light from the star and some of it reflects off and some of it is absorbed and re-emitted in the infrared as thermal radiation. So this is an image of a nearby star. It's a star a little bit bigger than the sun, a few times the size of the sun. And it was observed with the Gemini telescope, which is one of the largest telescopes in the world on the island of Hawaii. Um, and on this picture, this little bar here represents 40 times the distance between the Earth and the sun. So if this star had a planet like the Earth, it would be just here, almost within the star. So we wouldn't be able to see that, it's just too close. And at the moment, we don't have the capacity to see directly planets like the Earth. But we can still look for bigger planets further out. And this is what astronomers did in this particular case. So if you zoom into this region here, and you subtract as best as you can the light from the star, and you look at anything that's left, there are three faint fuzzy blobs. And we know these are planets around that particular star because they move across the sky with the star and they also move around. So we're, it's actually a solar system that we are seeing face on with the orbits in the plane of the screen, if you like. And it's a scaled up version of the solar system, really. So the planets are something like eight to, times, eight to ten times bigger than Jupiter. And they're also several times further away. So you can see this inner one is about 20 times the distance between the Earth and the Sun whereas Jupiter is only five times the, Earth of the, uh, uh, the distance between the Earth and the Sun. But we can only do this for a few very nearby stars, and we can only find big planets in that way, which are far away from their star. So most of the planets that we know around other stars have been found by so-called indirect methods, and the most successful has been the, the radio velocity method. You may also have heard about it as the wobble method, because when a planet goes around a star, the planet also tugs at the star, and so that, that causes the star to move. The motion of the planet is much bigger, but the motion of the star we can actually measure. And we do this by taking the light from the star and putting it through anything that disperses it into the different colors. And when you do that to the light from a star, you actually see a continuum of light, but with some dark streaks across it. 
these are specific colors where particular elements, gas, gases in the atmosphere of the star, have absorbed the light. And we know exactly where they should be. But if the star is moving towards or away from us, they will be moved slightly towards the blue or towards the red. It's exactly the same effect, which makes a train sound higher pitched when it's coming towards you and then lower pitched when it's going away from you. It's called the Doppler effect, and it also affects light as well as sound. So using this, we can actually measure the motion of the star towards and away from us. And so here you have to imagine you have a star. It has a planet around it, but we don't see it. But we can still measure the motion of the star by seeing these dark lines move in the star's spectrum. The first time this was done was in 1995. And this is the data from that first ever discovery of a planet around a sun-like star. It was done long before the images I was showing you previously, which were from 2008. And what you see here is the motion of the star wobbling. And what was striking about this was that from the amplitude of the motion, we can tell it's a planet like Jupiter. But this happens on a period of three and a half days. So it's a planet like Jupiter going around its star every three and a half days. It's incredibly close. It's much closer than Mercury is to the Sun. Mercury takes about 80 days to go around the Sun. And people just did not think that planets like this could exist. So already the first discovery had to make us completely rethink how we think planets form. We now think that these close-in Jupiter planets must have formed in the outer parts and then somehow migrated in towards the central parts of the solar system. Now, the method that I actually work on is called the transit method. And it consists in looking at stars, and if, by chance, the orbit is aligned in the right way, then the planet will pass in front of the star. And then, if you monitor how bright the star is, you might see a little dip. And this dip will repeat every time the planet passes in front of the star. The reason transits are interesting is that the, the depth of the dip tells you about the size of the planet. The previous method, the radio velocity, tells you the mass. If you know the mass and the size, then you can work out the density and you can work out what the planet is made of. So you can tell if you have a gas giant planet or a terrestrial rocky planet like the Earth. The first time a transit of an exoplanet was discovered was in 2000. And this is the discovery data. And you can see this transit is a little bit more than 1% deep. That tells us that the planet was 10 times smaller than the star, and again, it's a Jupiter-sized <coughs> planet. It was made with a tiny little telescope, the kind of telescope that amateurs can have in their back garden. It's a five-centimeter telescope, just with a very good camera on the back of it, and a very dedicated graduate student doing the hard work of taking and analyzing all the observations. This graduate student, I should say, is now an extremely famous professor in Harvard. Um, so since... 2000, a lot of things have happened, but one of them has been the launch of a space mission called Kepler. So Kepler is a satellite containing a one-meter telescope that stares at a particular part of the sky in the constellation of Cygnus. If any of you go out of your back door, you can look at the Cygnus constellation in the summer, and you will see the field that Kepler is observing. And if you go to space, then you can detect smaller planets further away from the star, because you can monitor the stars continuously without interruption, and you don't have the blurring effect of the atmosphere. And then you can see transits, like the ones I showed, but much, much shallower. And you can also see them even if they only occur once every few months or once every year. And so Kepler has found thousands of planets. Um, and here the different dots show the size of the planets that Kepler has found and the temperatures that we think 
are at the surface of these planets. And they're on a funny scale where the Earth has a temperature of about 270 degrees Kelvin. So this green zone here is the range of temperatures where liquid water might exist on the surface of these planets. As you can see, we're still struggling to actually find planets which are as small as the Earth and as cool as the Earth, but we're getting there. These blue dots were found in the first year of the mission, the red dots in the second year, the yellow dots in the third year. We're now three and a half years into the mission and we are pushing to try and find other Earths. So what will we do when we find them? Well, we'll start to think about looking for signs of life on these planets. And one of the things that we can do, so if you, if you were able to take an image of the Earth, and disperse the light according to its colors, like we currently do for stars, then you might see something like this. So instead of sharp lines where the light is missing, there are broad regions where the light is missing, and that's because it's been absorbed by molecules like ozone, water vapor, carbon dioxide in the atmosphere of the Earth. And this particular combination should not be there. Ozone absolutely loves to react with water vapor and carbon dioxide. So if it's there, it means something must be producing it. And something must be producing it in enormous quantity. And on Earth, it's plants that produce oxygen in enormous quantity. We don't know of any other way of producing it in such large quantities. So if we saw this in the atmosphere of another planet, we would say maybe there's a good chance that there is actually life on this planet. And that's where I'll leave it. <laughs>